This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Nutshell Politics. I'm your charming host, Justin Kenny, and I'm excited to be here with you guys for a special spotlight episode. We're going to touch on a specific organization out there in the world, another terrorist group, one that you may not have heard of, or if you have, you may not know a lot about. And it's actually one that I've been doing a lot of research on recently as part of my upcoming dissertation. And that is a group called the Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia, or as they're more commonly known, FARC, which is F-A-R-C. That was the Spanish phrase I used. It means the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. And it's a group that goes all the way back to the 1960s. But just recently, they were in the news just last year as uh, a group that agreed to finally lay down arms after 50 plus years of fighting. Now, this is a group that's often thought of as more of like a, a rebel group, a guerrilla force that just happens to use terrorist tactics, but they are designated as a terrorist group by many uh, countries in the world. And they are actually considered the oldest guerrilla group in the entire Western Hemisphere. Now, as I mentioned, they started back in the 1960s, and this is during kind of the height of the Cold War. There were a lot of uh, Cold War era tensions that were super high, and a lot of groups like this started to crop up around the world. And by like this, I mean groups that have a very Marxist, Leninist, almost revolutionary socialism ide ideology that's driving them. In other words, they're essentially a group of left-wing nationalists. Now, the left-wing part, I think, is obvious. That's the socialism, Marxist, Leninism stuff I just mentioned. The nationalism is that essentially they're fighting for, or what they claim to be fighting for, are the poor communities, the peasant communities of Colombia to try to gain their freedom from what they believe are kind of the elite overlords that are running Colombia, and we'll talk about all that in just a minute. Now, as I said, this kind of grew out of a peasant movement essentially demanding land reform, and this goes back all the way back to the 1940s, actually. There was a, a populist leader who was assassinated back in the 1940s, and this started a series of violent outbreaks throughout the country over the next 15 years with entire villages that were being targeted simply for political affiliation within the country. And so this was, as I said, it started back in the 1940s, and we saw hundreds of thousands of people in Colombia across the country fleeing their hometowns to escape some of these uh, massacres that were taking place. Among those fleeing groups was a faction of rebels, a very specific faction that was part of the Communist Party of Colombia. And while they were not targeted initially in those early you know, 40s and 50 years, eventually this group becomes targeted in the 1960s for their communist ideology. And in response, they form an armed group that eventually becomes FARC. Now, they were not the only group like this that emerged at this time. There was another terrorist group that emerged around the same time period, also Marxist-Leninist, growing out of the peasant movements, called the ELN. But FARC is by far the largest in all of Colombia. It's actually one of the larger terrorist groups in the world. Uh, today, there was probably a neighborhood of seven to 10,000 members, but at its peak, it was something in the neighborhood of seventeen to 18,000 members. 
Now, mostly they operate out of the jungles of Colombia, but they are a very large organization. In particular, they have a large population of very young fighters, uh, miners, sometimes even child soldiers. It's estimated as much as 20 to 30% of their recruits are below the age of 18. Now, ideologically speaking, as I said, there's a lot of Marxist-Leninist philosophy built into here. Uh, they are affiliated with the Communist Party of Colombia still, even to this day, and they've attracted a lot of militant communists, as well as a lot of like peasant self-defense groups, especially groups of these poor, very rural communities that were seen as being targeted by the government or felt like they were being left out of, of the governing body. And so they started to look for groups to join, and the group known as FARC became one of those. And this is where they actually do see some distinction between FARC and the, the other group I mentioned, the ELN, which actually targeted mostly students and those sorts of things, kind of the left-wing intellectual branch. Now, FARC does claim to be fighting for the rights of the poor, for land reform, and those types of things. But a lot of this actually goes back to, as I said, in the 1960s, they had the, the stated intention, this is when they first came out, to overthrow something called the National Front. Now, the National Front was essentially a kind of a bipartisan political alternation system. And by that, I know that's a big phrase, but essentially what that means is that in Colombia at the time, there were two major political parties, the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party. Now, you can't quite think of them in the same sense that we have a Liberal and Conservative Party in the United States today, but that, that's what they were called at the time. Now, during this time period, there was actually an agreement between these two parties that they decided to rotate power every four years to ultimately share the bureaucracy. Now, these two parties have been dominant forces in Colombian politics at various times throughout the years, but this agreement to share power was done so to try to help end a decade of very intense political violence across Colombia. As I mentioned, a lot of these villages were being targeted. It was a, a very bloody decade-plus-long civil war called La Violencia, uh, or the violence, La Violencia. Now, this solution that they came up with did work temporarily. It did kind of end this particularly violent period, but it, it didn't resolve all of the problems. And a lot of this is in part due to the various economic, political, and social problems that existed throughout the country because none of those things really went away. And so dissatisfaction among the civilian population remained very high, and the people became more and more impatient as time went on. Now, the people also at this time also become very increasingly frustrated with this kind of rotating government system because they see it as very ineffective. And so you see a lot of kind of minority political ideologies begin to emerge and kind of fester in the general population. And we'll get to that in just a second. But let's move back for a second and just talk about these two parties for a minute. The Liberal Party at the time was originally much more like a classically liberal party, uh, which used the very classical liberal phrase about things like freedom and such. But during the 1940s, especially into the 50s, they had shifted quite far leftward into much more of a socialism ideology, embracing a lot of the social democratic ideas that we tend to think of today in social democracies. The Conservative Party as kind of a contrast, espoused uh, things like economic liberalism, social conservatism. You can think of it kind of in a sense of how we think of our conservative party today, but really they were a lot closer to what's called the Christian democratic tr tradition, which you find across most of Europe today and a lot of different groups there, the Christian democracies. Now, 
as I said, because this rotating setup between two very different parties was seen as very ineffective, you know, flipping every four years, not a whole lot was getting done. There were a handful of new political ideologies that emerged in that general population for varying reasons in different locations. Now, one new set of ideas that popped up is communism. Now, communism especially grabbed at the kind of the hearts and minds of some of these emerging guerrilla groups. And we actually saw several of them with the ELN, which is the National Liberation Army. We had FARC. We had uh, the Popular Liberation Army, the EPL. There was a group called the 19th of April Movement, or M19. And FARC was the, the largest of these groups that kind of grew out of this festering new ideology, dissatisfied with the government setup that, that was rotating power every you know, four years. So what happened is you had this kind of small coalition of farmers that armed themselves in response to this power sharing agreement. Now going back, remember they had been being targeted for political ideology, so they're already upset. They're already starting to arm themselves. And then this power share agreement comes around and they feel like they've really been left out of this new government. They feel like their ideas and things are completely uh, left out. And so they look across, you know, the waters at Colombia, sorry, they look across the waters at Cuba, Fidel Castro, and FARC begins to argue that this newly installed government was essentially taking land from the farmers, the poor in rural areas and giving it to the wealthy. And so they see this as a, a tyranny of the wealthy. And while, while they don't really associate themselves with the Soviet Union or even Cuba directly, they take a lot of those two countries' ideas and then they claim to fight for that and to represent the peasants against this oligarchy of, of the elites and the wealthy and the powerful within Colombia. Now, they don't really, while we tend to think of them as very left-wing, they don't really embrace the ideas of like the typical left-wing belief of larger governments. So they focus much more on ideas of like social welfare and fighting inequality and things like that at least very early on. And especially in those early years, we see a lot of these kind of peasant self-defense groups and the militant communists really latch on to FARC. And the commitment in those very early years to like what was considered pure Marxism or pure Leninism was very strong and popular because the, the citizens saw FARC as kind of a, a revolutionary group dedicated to fighting for them. You know, taking back lands from the elite, helping the poor, almost in like a, a Robin Hood-esque sense. And this commitment to being a, a, quote, people's army gave them a sense of justification for their actions, a sense of, a sense of legitimacy, uh, believing that guerrilla violence was the only way that they were able to reach out to the people, uh, sorry, to reach out for the people on behalf of the people and fight against what they saw as the tyranny in government. And it gave them kind of this martyrdom element, almost like they were heroes. And it worked really well for recruiting, for public support, for morale among their soldiers. But over time, we have seen this commitment to that communist left-wing ideology really waver and almost uh, disappear entirely. Uh, now, they will still claim that, but ultimately, when the Soviet Union fell and we saw a lot of these other left-wing groups, terrorist groups, extremist groups, rebel groups, fade away because they lost a lot of support from Soviets and, and other groups like that, or other countries like that, we saw FARC kind of rebrand themselves. And they jumped at the opportunity to get into the, uh, several illegal activities, in particular illegal mining and the illegal drug trade. And this became a means of raising funds to operate their organization. And so the leadership became more and more dedicated to 
like economic arguments and economic um, mo- motivations and less and less dedicated to that original ideology as their overall movement progressed. This actually leads to kind of a, a gap between the members within their organization and some of the the poor rural supporters who maintained a lot of these left-wing ideas. And the leadership became more and more focused on like garnering money from working the drug trade in Colombia, but the rural FARC members who gave the group popularity in the first place were much more dedicated to the the Marxist ideas of social wel- welfare and you know fighting down against the elite. Now, in line with this ideology, I should mention, FARC did once try to establish a political party. They called it the Union uh, Patriotica, or the UP. They did win a few seats, a handful of like local mayoral campaigns in some cities, but by and large, the, the party didn't last very long. Now, methodology-wise, as I said, this is a group that's almost seen much more of like a guerrilla rebel group than terrorist group. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they use very strong military-like tactics. They have a very well-defined structure, a strong, strong hierarchy. And they actually break up the organization into what are called 70 fronts or kind of individual units that all run at least partially autonomously. And so these 70 fronts are all scattered around, you know, the regions that they control, but the fronts don't really answer necessarily to the main organization, at least um, for a lot of their individual actions. Now, broadly speaking, they are still part of the same organization and there is some control there, but they are not in the same sense as, uh, they're almost more like franchises, I should say. They're more like franchises. Uh, in the sense that they they kind of run things autonomously in their region with whatever works best for them. Now, this group, in particular for their terrorist attacks, they became very well known for things like kidnappings for ransom, extortion. Uh, Back in 2002, they actually kidnapped a presidential candidate, someone by the name of Ingrid Betancourt. And this idea of like kidnapping for money for support became a, a really key part of their methodology. Now, in 2012, they announced they were going to try to stop this, and they actually released some of their hostages as part of negotiations with the government, but they quickly abandoned that promise and started kidnapping again not long after that. Now, the other big thing that I mentioned is that they got really into drug trafficking and drug sales. Now, primarily speaking, this was marijuana and the big one, cocaine, And because at one point in the early 2000s, Colombia actually as as a country supplied something like 90% of the world's cocaine and FARC specifically was responsible for somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60% of that especially i said i think it's about 60% of the colombian cocaine that made its way to the united states even so FARC was huge into drug trafficking and drug sales particularly of cocaine and th- this worked really well for them because they controlled a lot of territory in rural communities which allowed them to grow the plants necessary to manufacture Uh, cocaine. Now, they also got into things like illegal mining, which generated some money for them, some funds. And they started doing things like attacking infrastructure, going after like the energy infrastructure of the country, doing a lot of things that would uh, really kind of upset the Colombian government. And this has been going on, as I said, for like 50 plus years, started back in the 1960s. uh, And the group has been committed to violence pretty much ever since. They used to engage the army much more directly as kind of an army-on-army army attack almost, but because they weakened over the last couple decades, they've done that less and less so and resorted more and more to terror tactics. So you get a lot more of these like small ambushes of civilians and infrastructure and less outright combat with the Colombian army. 
Now, in 2012, FARC's ranks had been severely thinned. There was a huge military offensive that the Colombian government undertook, uh, backed by the United States, actually. And we saw FARC really almost be forced to the negotiating table. And this is because the U.S. spent something like $10 billion in Colombia as part of an aid package that we gave them to help them counter and combat guerrilla violence. Uh, the United States is actually Colombia's largest trading partner. And so the United States became very focused on wanting to help cut out a lot of these, these rebel groups who were so involved in the national economy of Colombia. Now, there was a president by the name of President Uribe. He cracked down very heavily on both FARC and the ELN. The ELN was a smaller group, but also operated very similarly to FARC. They were actually kind of sometime allies, but also sometime rivals. They would conduct some joint missions together occasionally, but they also did a lot of infighting. Uh, several times they would kill each other's members. They would try to steal each other's uh, sources of funding, you know, steal territory and those types of things. And, but they both kind of operated similarly in attacking civilians, illegal drug trade, illegal mining, and those types of things. So President Uribe comes in and tries to crack down on both of these groups. And we see a lot of the groups start to splinter, and many even try to flee the country, uh, seeking refuge, in, refuse, uh, refuge excuse me, in Venezuela or Ecuador. Now, in 2016, uh, June, they actually came back to the negotiating table, and they FARC signed a ceasefire with the Colombian government, uh, officially ending a 52-year conflict that killed something like 220,000 people over that time period. It, but then it went up for a popular vote in the country and it was rejected. Uh, this was uh, an agreement that the people thought was being way too lenient on, on FARC, essentially allowing them uh, amnesty, more or less, and pardoning them for, for a lot of these acts, which the public did not like. And so once the public rejected this, we saw the group kind of go back to the negotiating table with a lot of proposed changes to the referendum, and the negotiations continued. Now, a revised agreement was ultimately met in November of that same year, so about, what is that, uh, five months later. And this would require a parliamentary approval as opposed to going up for kind of a nationwide vote like the previous one. Now, the nationwide vote the first time around was actually very, very close. They did reject it, but it was something like 50.2% to 49.8. So it was very, very close. And so the second agreement actually only had to go up for parliamentary approval instead of going to the whole uh, population. Now, the essential deal here uh, was actually still done with uh, president Uribe, who's now at this point the former president, and the current president, a man by the name of Juan, Ma uh, sorry, Juan Manuel Santos. And this kind of new modified agreement basically permitted FARC to establish their own political party. And in exchange, they would lay down their arms. They would be granted full immunity if they gave a full confession, cooperation, and... Uh, there were there were some details around like the drug trafficking. There may be some charges still placed there, but they would be uh, granted immunity for some of their terrorist acts if they would lay down their weapons and they would allow um, them to form their own political party. And so, in, in November of 2016, I believe it was November 24th, this revised peace deal was officially signed. And by February, the FARC organization began the process of disarming. And a couple months after that, by May, they were starting to become reintegrated into civilian life. 
and officially as of June of last year in 2017, FARC officially ceased to be an armed group. Its member, its forces officially disarmed, handed over something like 7,000 weapons to the United Nations at a special ceremony, uh, which included uh, FARC leadership and the Colombian government. And at that point, FARC uh, formally ceased to exist. Now, the problem has risen that because FARC was so broken up into these 70 fronts, that there were a lot of dissidents within FARC that did not like this peace deal. And they have actually refused to lay down some of their arms, uh, even after this government peace treaty that came through. And these dissidents are somewhere in the neighborhood of like 1,200 armed combatants who are still out there. And they have been, over the last like year and a half, become increasingly problematic for, uh, for the Colombian government and for the Colombian military to continue to fight. And these dissidents have been responsible for quite a few different attacks. And in particular, there's a couple fronts. The, probably the biggest one is the first front. It's located kind of in the eastern part of Colombia. But these groups have been uh, very problematic. Even though the majority of FARC has been dismantled, uh, these groups are still alive, they're still active, and they are quite uh, extensively armed as well. And so while FARC officially does not exist anymore, these dissidents do, and so we can still kind of treat FARC as a still active group, even though the formal organization has laid down their arms and uh, turned over any sort of weapons they had to the government, to the United Nations, and tried to reintegrate into everyday life. Now, a handful of things about FARC and some of their tactics. We do know that in the past they actually got into using gas warfare, um, particularly, they used type of like improvised mortar you know, made out of gas ca uh, gas canisters when they were launching some of their attacks, and this was widely condemned by the Human Rights Watch and many others, uh, as well as their use of landmines. Now, they also were known for occasionally threatening or killing a lot of the indigenous Colombians. There's a lot of uh, indigenous groups in Colombia. And FARC frequently would go into these, these indigenous communities, assassinate some of the leaders, forcibly recruit some of the indigenous youth populations. And in part because of this, something like 35 of these tribes or ethnicities that are within Colombia, of which there's, I think, about 100 or so total of indigenous ethnic, ethnic groups, about 35 of these groups are in danger of entirely dying out right now. And so this armed conflict has not just affected organizations like FARC or the ELN, it's also affected the government, but in particular, it's affected a lot of these indigenous groups that are, are not really on either side. Now, moving forward, there was a, there's a joint operation that's taking place between Colombia and Peru, which is a kind of joint military effort. It's called Operation Armageddon, and the entire purpose here is to try to combat some of these FARC dissidents, and to an extent, it has been a fairly successful on the first day alone when they started this back in July they managed to arrest something like 50 individuals a lot of these being Colombian nationals who were part of the organization dismantled some of the cocaine laboratories that were in place there and we've actually seen the relative success of the FARC agreement with you know thousands upon thousands of people turning down uh, turning in their arms carry over and there's actually some ag agreement talks being are taking place right now between the Colombian government and some of these other organizations like the ELN. And so this particular agreement between FARC and the government 
if it continues to hold, and again, we're still very early in the process, but if it does continue to hold, we may see a bit of a, a waterfall effect with some of the other groups like this in the area. And so we'll have to keep a very close eye on that going forward to see what really takes place. But with that, we're going to go ahead and shut things down. I think that was a pretty good overview of who FARC is, where they came from, what their purpose was in, in uh, arming themselves, as well as kind of where they are today. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I think it's really fascinating. As I said, this is one group that I'm really looking at uh, kind of hardcore for my own dissertation and my writing. But I think it's a fascinating one as well that is one that a lot of people don't really know about as being so active. We tend to focus on groups like, say, in the Middle East. But FARC is probably the largest or say I should say was the largest guerrilla group in the entire hemisphere. And uh, being in the Americas, I think it's one that we should probably know a little bit more about than we tend to. So with that, we're going to go ahead and shut things down. As always, find me on Twitter. You can follow me there at Justin R underscore Kinney. I look forward to continuing that conversation. You can also find me on Facebook at J Robert Kinney. That's the name I write fiction novels under. If you haven't yet, please, please go check out my new book. It's called Splintered State. It is on Amazon. You can find it for both paperback and Kindle. It's the first in a series of three to four books that I'm currently working on right now. I'm really excited about it. Sales have been going well so far. And so if you haven't had a chance to pick that up, go ahead and do so on Amazon. I also have a previous book that came out about two and a half years ago called Precipice. You can check that one out as well. And of course, if you're interested in supporting this podcast in any way or advertising on the podcast, please hit me up. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. You can also check out my Patreon account, which is online as well. Uh, But with that, we're going to go ahead and shut things down. So I hope you guys have a very happy new year, and I will see you again on the other side with more episodes of Nutshell Politics in 2019. So without further ado, and the last time in 2018... This is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. <laughs>